for your amazing grace. Father, it doesn't matter where we've come, what we've done, what we've said, Father. The grace of God can overcome all of our past. Father, cause us to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Father, we have no past beyond our acceptance of the Lord Jesus. Father, that's what's so amazing about it. People remind us of the things we've done in years past. Decades past, Father. But Father, you don't remember anything we've done from the day we received the Lord Jesus. Father, you said you put all of those things in the sea of forgetfulness, Father, as far as the east is from the west. And your blood, Father, washes us clean. So, Father, we stand before you clean as children of the Most High God. And, Father, if people around us try to remind us of, the, of our past, Father, we'll just remind them of our future. Our future is with you. Father, our days are with you because of the amazing grace, Father. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we give you all praise and honor for it, Father. We thank you, Father, that we can live free from our past. Father, free from all of the things the world does. We have no requirement to live like the world lives, Father. Your grace empowers us to do that. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. We appreciate you all coming out to um, Word of Truth Annex, right? So <laughs> we'll be here for a few services and, and um, we'll see how it goes. And um, I mean, it's gone fine so far in this great facility. Uh, and we appreciate um, Dayton Nutrition. Uh, actually, they, were, they offered to let us use their space here. And, um, uh, and so in case you don't know, the big scary green wall back there, that's where the restrooms are uh, since uh, if you haven't been here before. And so they camouflaged it really well. Uh, and so, um, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, the grace of God, uh, you know, starting about 2006 or so, you know, this is this is a conflict that's always been in the church where um, people want to use the grace of God uh, to live however they want to. Right. As a as a child of God. And, you know, in one respect, we all live how we want to. Right. You know, and, and we live exactly the way we want to. And uh, people say, well, you know, you're, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. You know. I'm doing everything I want to do. You're doing everything you want to do. Nobody is doing things that we don't want to do. You know, we don't live in a communist society and we live in a free society here. And so, um, but there, there's always a struggle in a church about this conflict between grace and sin. Uh, and, you know, the, sometimes the church doesn't even like to preach about grace because uh, they're afraid that people will take that to li go live in sin. And the same thing, I think we mentioned it not even that long ago about um, uh, back in the 50s when Oral Roberts was uh, a great healing evangelist going across the country, uh, he started telling everybody that God is a good God. Uh, and he would have advertisements, God is a good God. Uh, and uh, some of the pastors would come to Brother Hagin and say, well, we need to have him stop saying that. We don't want him saying that. Uh, and, and, of course, to tell somebody to have a, a minister to stop saying that God is good uh, is really odd, yeah. right? Well, why don't you want him to say that? Well, if people think that God's good, they won't be afraid of him and they won't live right because of their fear. Uh, well, we're supposed to live right because of our love. You know, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you fear me, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we should do what the Lord wants us to do because we love him, not because we're afraid of him. Amen. 
Uh, and so they, their whole mentality was, was, was uh, messed up. And, and they're still, that mentality is still in the church that they don't like to tell people how good God is because they feel like, well, that gives you a license to, to sin. Well, why is it that when, when we have freedom, we think that's a license to sin? You know, freedom should be a license to live more for the Lord. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I want to live more for the Lord every day. I'm not trying to find loopholes to walk in sin uh, because a sin is going to come out of your flesh. And if you live in the spirit, you're going to live and, and do what the Lord wants you to do. So uh, that that conflict will always be in mankind, that the conflict between grace and sin. Uh, but, you know, a little bit after Brother Hagin passed away around 2006, there was a, a big push for uh, grace. Right. Uh, and uh, some people call it extreme grace. Uh, it's really just uh, it's wrapped up in the concept that, well, because you're a child of God, you can't really sin, so whatever you do is okay uh, because of grace. Well, that's really messed up, right? Because there is a sin, there is sin in the world, right? There's sin in the church, there's sin in people's lives. And 1 John 1, 9 was written to the church, right? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And they say, well, 1 John was not written to the church. But there's uh, a dozen scriptures outside of 1 John that talks about repenting, right? As a child of God. Don't walk into the, uh, you go to Galatians chapter 5, talks about uh, all, all of the uh, works of the flesh, right? and, it, and it talks about anger, lasciviousness, you know, fornication, those types of things. Uh, those are on Galatians chapter 5. Those are things that the church can do. It's not necessary for Paul to write the things the church isn't doing. So the works of the flesh can be done by the church. Well, there's sin. If you're committing these things, you should repent of them if you're doing those things. Uh, and so uh, people say, well, grace just let you live however you want to. Grace is God's power and ability working in you to, to give you the strength to do his will. That's really all grace is for. The more grace you walk in, the more able you are to do his perfect will in your life. And it, the more grace you're in, the less sin you actually commit. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, this whole thing about, well, if you sin, uh, I know the, you know, Paul said that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound, but he wasn't talking about where sin is in your life. He was talking about where sin's in the world. Yes. Grace in your life keeps you from having to live like the world. Amen. That's the whole point of it. It's not that you get more, where grace abounds in your life, that uh, where sin abounds in your life, that God gives you more grace to, what are you going to do with that sin? I don't know. I, you know. That didn't make any sense. That doctor doesn't make any sense, right? That if you sin more, there's more grace. That's, there's more conviction, if anything, you know, there's not more grace. You know, the grace was already there to keep you from sinning to begin with. And so the whole concept is just messed up. Right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you all are intelligent beings. You're you're intelligent human beings. You have the spirit of God in you. You know that grace is not given you till you can sin more. Everybody knows that. Amen. Even if you don't know book, chapter and verse about it, you know that, well, I'm not trying to sin more. But you always got people on the edges of the church who want to keep one foot in the church, one church, foot in the world. You know, they're always looking for loopholes. They're always looking for a way to live however they want to go and, you know, do whatever they want to. And, and um, you know, I was telling somebody I saw an advertisement for a, a pastor. And they're kind of giving his resume, what he, you know, what he can do. And the first one, I forget what the first one was, because after you see the second one, nothing else mattered. Right. The first one was, you know, I think he had a degree or something. You know, the second one was that he's an expert at at uh, uh, micro brewing. Right. Making beer. That was his resume. I'm thinking, okay, even if you're doing that, why is that the most, second most important thing that you want to tell people about yourself, right? I mean, I, you know, the second most important thing that I want to tell you about you is I've served my pastor for 
for 20 years. You know, that's a pretty, that would help you, right, to know that about me. Uh, it wouldn't help you to know that, oh, yeah, I'm also expert, expert at making alcohol, right? Uh, and so, but see, the people think that's grace. Well, that's not grace. That's just garden variety sin, right? Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's not even, it's not, it's, it's boring sin, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and people say, well, you know, you're religious and you live this way, live that way. I live exactly the way I want to live. And I'm not trying to be religious. I'm trying to be more like the Lord Jesus every day. Amen. That's my job. That's my goal. That's my desire. Uh, and when people are, are, you know, they get mad at you because you, they say you're religious. You know, re- religion is legalism and there's, there's, no, there's, no, uh, there's no joy in religion at all. Uh, and so... Uh, the Lord's grace is amazing and it helps us get out of where we are to where we're supposed to be. Uh, if you're living in sin, grace gets you out of that sin. It doesn't keep you in that sin to allow you to do that sin more effectively. It gets you out of the sin. Uh, and so we're supposed to be yielding to that grace so we can live the life that God wants us to live. You know, all sin, uh, just like, uh, you know, of course, we teach uh, uh, on Sunday afternoon, we do healing school. Uh, and we know that every germ is, is ultimately a death sentence, right? Every germ left unchecked will end up destroying your life, killing your life. Uh, and so the goal of every, of every germ is to kill you. Now, your body takes care of 99% of them without you even knowing about it. Uh, but it's the same, same deal that every single sin is there to kill you. Uh, every sin is desi- designed to destroy your life. Uh, and so... Uh, Flirting with sin, you know, sin and death always go together. Sin and death always go together. And you may end up leaving this earth early. Uh, you may end up uh, doing worse things than that, even uh, of even missing heaven, if you continue in that path. Uh, we're not here to talk about all of that discussion today. Uh, but um, uh, there is, to me, it's just, I don't know how intelligent people can, who love the Lord and will read at least one verse every 10, 15 years, can come up with the concept that grace is there to allow you to sin more. Uh, and so, uh, but there are people who teach that and there are people who believe that. Uh, and uh, the more grace you walk in, what you'll find is the less sin you actually commit in your life. The, uh, and not just big, you know, uh, I just robbed the bank kind of sin, but just the sin of, of being unkind or sin of saying unkind words or sin of not being a person of your word. Now, there's a lot of sins that uh, are just as bad. Uh, you know, I know people that, that, uh, will get an unforgiveness towards you because you've done something to them uh, and they think that they're fully justified in their unforgiveness because of your sin. And I'm thinking, well, but the Bible actually says that that if you don't, if uh, you don't forgive, the Lord won't forgive you. Uh, And so how is your unforgiveness? And that doesn't mean that what they did to you is, is not wrong. People do wrong things every day. People do unkind things to people every day. But why is your unforgiveness perfectly acceptable, but, but their sin is not, yeah. right? In the eyes of the Lord, they're both, they're both just as bad, amen? amen. Uh, and so, you know, uh, sometimes I, uh, I'm concerned about folks because, um, you know, they love the fellowship of the church. They love the music of the church. They love, you know, the gathering together of the people. Uh, but we should love to, to become more like the Lord Jesus every day. Amen. And everything else, to me, is secondary, you know, and... and um, uh, sometimes I just, uh, uh, you know, and I understand my path has been different than other people's paths sometimes. But when I got saved and started reading the word of God, I realized, you know, Lord, this word that you've given to us can change my life. I can be the person that I've always wanted to be. 
And I didn't even know the person that I wanted to be. I just knew I didn't like the person that I was. You ever known that? You ever been that way? You know, you don't know who you want to be, but you don't like the person who you are right now. Uh, and I started reading the word and realized I can be the person that this word of God says that I can be. And that to me, that's more important than 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 all the chicken legs that we eat, you know, all the, you know, Easter eggs we're going to find, you know, all those things are great and wonderful, but um, um, to become the person that the Lord says I can be uh, is such a great value to us. Amen. Uh, and so uh, we have been uh, teaching on the Beatitudes and let's, let's, let's open up to uh, Matthew chapter five. Um, we're still in the first Beatitude, you know, brother Randy run them all through in, in, um, you know, like 20 minutes. Uh, and, um, um, you know, I'm going to hold that over him for a long time, I think. And so, um, but uh, uh, Jesus is starting here. Of course, the Beatitudes are the beginning of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? So he went up on this mount there and uh, he's speaking to all of his people. No doubt there's thousands of people here at this uh, particular meeting. He spends um, all of chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven uh, talking about this. He opens up his meeting here with uh, the Beatitudes, and we started out with the first one, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about how Luke says, blessed are just the poor, uh, and, uh, and then we took it over to Matthew here, and Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we went through, showed that it's not talking about your bank account. We looked at uh, Zacchaeus as an example. We looked at the rich young ruler as an example, uh, and showed that the issue is uh, in the, with, it, with the rich young ruler, the issue was, what did he trust in? Mm-hmm. wasn't that he had something, it was, what did he trust in? Because yes. Zacchaeus had the same riches that the rich young ruler had. Jesus never said a thing to him about his riches, amen? amen. Uh, and Zacchaeus was found to be poor in spirit, and the rich young ruler was found not to be poor in spirit. Uh, and so uh, all of these things, we talked about how the, the word blessed there is such a big word, it's all-encompassing. It means God just wants to, you to have a great life in every aspect of your life. You know, the Lord created human uh, beings to be spirit, soul, and body. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are a spirit. We, we, uh, we have a soul and we live in a body. Uh, and if the Lord created those three dimensions, because the Lord, you know, before that, before the earth and the universe was here, there was only the spirit realm. There was no other realm. Uh, and the Lord created this natural realm, which I don't know how he even did that, right? I mean, you think about he was a spirit and then he created things right well what was there before there was things there was just the spirit realm so the lord the lord created this natural realm we live in it he placed us in this natural realm uh, and so if the lord created the spirit realm and the natural realm wouldn't he want us to be blessed in the spirit realm and the natural realm so many times the church well it, the, the says the church the the lord only wants to bless us in the spirit realm well why did the lord create the natural realm he created this realm didn't he yes. Well, why wouldn't he want us to be prosperous and blessed and happy in this uh, in this realm? Yes. Um, it's it just, you know, the, so much of the Bible to me is just uh, walking around sense. Mm-hmm. Right. If you just use your brain for, you know, more than 30, 40 seconds a day, uh, you know, most of these things are pretty easy to understand. Amen. Yeah. But the people, they just they, they'll fight it. And why they fight it? I don't know why in the world people want to live in a, in a world that the Lord doesn't want us to bless us where we are, that he's put off all the blessings until we get to heaven. But, of course, we read that in, um, let's just real quick read that one verse over in Matthew chapter 10, uh, where Peter had said, well, Lord, you know, we're following you. You know, basically he was asking, what's in it for us? Uh, And um, because it seemed like uh, that the rich young ruler wasn't going to make it. Uh, And so 
Peter said, what about us? You know, he said in, in Matthew or Mark chapter 10, uh, down in verse uh, 28, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brother or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake. So in other words, if you do anything on my behalf, whatever it is, whatever you leave uh, in order to be able to fulfill my call upon your life, he said, uh, you shall receive in verse 30, a hundredfold when? Now in this time, right? So where is now in this time? It's on the earth, right? We live on there right now in this time. We live on the earth, right? So is he going to bless us in the future? Well, he says uh, later on that uh, and in the world to come eternal life. So he's got the future taken care of in the spirit realm. Uh, but here uh, we live in this natural realm. He said, but you shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers, children and lands and persecutions and the world to come eternal life. So in, uh, in other words, if you follow the Lord, there's blessing, but there's also persecution. You ever notice that you ever been persecuted for living for the Lord? Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who, you know, it's minor persecution, but they think they don't think much of me because I'm not involved in their sin all the time. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, that's that's unfortunate for them. Uh, and so uh, Jesus said that there is a blessing in following his life, following his word and his plan for your life. So uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the the blessings are uh, all of a, the things that belong to us. Right. It's it's all encompassing. Poor in spirit, whose choice is it to be poor in spirit? It's our choice to be poor in spirit, right? Uh, and if we do that, so if we do uh, what it says to, to do in verse 3, which is to be poor in spirit, what, what do we get? Well, we get two things, right? We get blessings, and so uh, all of these things come about in, uh, from verses 3 to 11 uh, are the things that uh, we get for, for doing uh, what he instructs us for, uh, instructs us to do. So one of them is we're blessed in all of these things, but then he, he gives us some specific things here for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so what is the kingdom of heaven well what you'll find in the new testament is you'll find it either called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god uh, and sometimes in the same story one gospel will call it the kingdom of heaven one gospel will call it the kingdom of god uh, and you know i've listened to somebody given a, a long dissertation on the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god and to be honest, I was completely unconvinced. I, you know, in, in my studies, personally, I, I don't see any difference between the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And people may think less of me because of, you know, well, you know, if you don't see that distinction, you know, you're just not really very, very good Bible scholar. Uh, you can read them all and they all seem like the same thing, right? I think it's just the Lord's way of, of saying the same thing in multiple ways to get us to understand it. Uh, but we have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven, what is that, right? What is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, well, if, uh, if you go into, um, uh, well, if you go to, to John chapter 3, um, and with our friend uh, Nicodemus here, because um, we could go through a lot of scriptures just on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so um, Jesus said here, uh, in ver this is uh, John chapter 3 and verse 3. Uh, Jesus answered, in fact, uh, uh, let's start in verse 1 there. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was a Pharisee, right? Uh, and the Pharisees were the most religious people, uh, the, the strictest Jews that you could be at this point in time. Uh, and 
Nicodemus came to him. So there was a couple of good Pharisees, right? You know, Pharisees usually are, are, are a word that's a negative, uh, but this fellow wasn't, uh, you know, but he did come to Jesus by night. So, you know, he wanted Jesus, but, you know, he wasn't really sure that he wanted everybody else to know that he wanted Jesus. Uh, and so uh, he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And it's interesting, the statement, because the general Pharisees didn't want to admit that. But the ones who really knew the Messiah, knew the word of God, knew that. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So he's kind of buttering Jesus up there a little bit, right? Flattering Jesus. Well, what does Jesus answer to him? He said, verse 3. He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what did Jesus do? He completely ignored all the flattery, right? Uh, but he said, he, uh, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there, some people think that salvation is the kingdom of God. But if you go through, and we're not going to go through them all, but if you go through uh, all, all of the uh, epistles from Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians, they all talk about inheriting the kingdom of God. Uh, and it seems as from my studyings in these things that the kingdom of God is what you receive as part of your salvation experience. That once you're born again, then you have an inheritance with God. Once you're born again and become a child of God, then you receive an inheritance. And you can think of it this way that, uh, you know, if, if, uh, um, if you have parents, you know, I have parents and my parents passed away many years ago. But because I'm their child, then um, I received an inheritance when they passed. Uh, and, of course, we didn't have a lot of things growing up. Uh, and when they passed, if you take not a lot of things and divide it by 11, you have a lot less of, a, of not many things. Right. And so that's what happened. And, and so, you know, we got a small inheritance uh, from my from my parents. But I received that inheritance because not because I was their child, not because uh, that, that inheritance didn't make me their child. I was a child and I got the inheritance. So uh, sometimes people kind of get things confused that that um, uh, that our born-again experience is the kingdom of God and the inheritance, but that's not really our inheritance. You don't get an inheritance until you're actually a child, right? So we, we become children of God, and that's what Jesus said. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, and, of course, the kingdom of God is all the things that come along with the, uh, the Lord Jesus as part of our inheritance. And we know, according to Romans chapter 8, that we are joint heirs with Jesus, right? We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Uh, and, again, that... Uh, ability, that right to receive those things comes about because of our uh, acceptance into the family of God. So we become a child of God and then we receive all this inheritance that comes about because of our, our relationship with the, the Father in heaven. Uh, and so uh, what Jesus is saying here, because this, this being poor in spirit, it's really what he's telling Nicodemus to do. That except, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, and to be poor in spirit really is an attitude of, of heart that, Lord, I need you in all of my life, right? I, I, where I'm at, my abilities are so poor, so destitute, uh, as far as me individually, I have to have you. And that's really the attitude of poor in spirit that we have to get to is, Lord, in and of myself, I have nothing to add to you. I have no ability to advance any of your uh, desires in the earth. And, and I need you to, to, for the very breath that I breathe. Uh, and that's that's the attitude of poor in spirit that Jesus started off with. That this is the most important one, because every single person that has gotten born again, at least to some extent in their life, have been poor in spirit. They know they needed a savior. 
they know they couldn't do it on their own. Uh, and that struggle there is such a struggle for the, for the world because so many people in the world are not poor in spirit. They think they can handle it, everything by themselves. They think they can take care of all the problems by themselves. They think they can become the person they want to be all by themselves, maybe with some therapy or something else, but not with God's help. They can do it on their own. Uh, and so they're not poor in spirit. Uh, and every person who gets born again has been poor in spirit, at least, at least in some part of their life, where they realized they needed a Savior. They, needed, they knew that the, where they were and where God wanted them to be was so far that, uh, that they needed God. And so it's a general attitude that we need to have in our lives that to be poor in spirit, Lord, I bring nothing to you. Uh, I need all that you are in my life. Uh, and uh, that, that uh, even for Christians sometimes, once they get born again, being poor in spirit is really a struggle. Because, you know, the Lord has given us all talents and abilities, hasn't he? He's given us, sometimes he's given people intellectual abilities. Sometimes he gives them abilities to work with their hands. Sometimes he gives them, you know, uh, uh, talents and abilities to sing or do some, some, uh, something like that. Uh, in, in the arts and crafts, you know, maybe there are artists of some kind. Uh, and uh, sometimes we think, well, because I can do this, I must be somebody special. Uh, and uh, they don't measure that compared to who God is, right? They measure it a compo- compared to who you are. And so they think because I could do this thing greater than you could do this thing, I must be somebody important. But we, we need to take the poor in spirit is in relation to, to the Lord, right? Because just the word poor, you know, the word poor is really a relative term. It's not an absolute poor because the poor people here in America, if you take any poor person and you give them the salary that they have, even from the government or from, from government subsidies or whatever they receive their income from and their housing and their food, if you take all of that stuff and you take all of it, that resources that they're getting today and you put it in the, the worst third world country, they would live as a king in that country. Uh, and so poor is relative to the, the surroundings around you, right? And so our poor in spirit needs to be in relation to God the Father, that we know that, that we have to have God. And there are people who think that because there's so much information available in the world, you know, you put, put, uh, open up a computer and you can find the world's information. And so therefore, uh, we don't need God because we have Google, right? And, and, you know, it's such an amazingly dumb statement, right? Because, I mean... Google didn't obviously come up with this data. They're just getting it from somebody else, right? Uh, but the, the collection of data, the collection of information in the world is, surpasses even God. Really? Well, just tell me how gravity works, right? Tell me how the, the earth stays spinning around the sun, right? Tell, tell me how magnetism works. They don't know. You know, they, they know what it looks like. They know how to measure it, but they don't know how it works, right? They don't, they have, they don't have any concept, right? Even our friend Sir Isaac Newton, as smart as he was, he figured out the mathematical formula for some of these things, but nobody understands how they actually work. How does this thing draw this thing to each other, right? Uh, and they still don't know how these things work. Uh, and so ask them how human beings have the ability to be self-aware. How, how do we know that we are, right? How do you know that you're sitting in that chair right now? Now we're getting to existential, you know, all kinds of voodoo psychology, right? We're not trying to get into psychology. But my point is, Explain that, right? Explain how we know that that's a chair, right? Nobody knows how, to, how we know that that's a chair. We just know that's a chair, right? And, and they have all kinds of theories and stuff. Well, the reason why we know is because God created us to, do, to be able to do that, amen? Uh, how are we able to have conversations and talk and you can understand 
uh, what I'm saying. Well, because God made you. I mean, it's easy for me because I, well, God did that, right? But for the world, you know, they don't know. They don't have any, un- any understanding of that. Uh, and so to be poor in spirit, you need to understand that in comp- compared to God, I am nothing and nobody. That's being poor in spirit, right? That I know that I need God. And we, you know, that sounds like, oh, well, yeah, we all know that. No, we don't all know that. Many times we think, you know, I'm good. You know, Lord, I can take care of this. That's not poor in spirit. Uh, Well, you know, I don't have to go to church all the time. Well, that's not poor in spirit, right? Uh, We need God every day. We need God to breathe. We need God to to think. And uh, that's being poor in spirit, a desperate need for the Lord. Uh, And so uh, I wanted to go back. Let's turn over to uh, our friend uh, Job here in the Old Testament. Because I think Job is really a great example of where we are in the church, where we are as human beings many times. Um, Because, you know, we all kind of feel sorry for Job. And, you know, I don't feel sorry for Job at all. In fact, the Lord didn't feel sorry for Job. We'll see in a few minutes. Even the Lord didn't feel sorry for him. So, you know, if the Lord didn't feel sorry for him, then, you know, there's no sorry to be be had at all, right? Uh, And so, uh, so, you know, a lot of times we think poor in spirit are people that are broken, you know, overwhelmed. That's, you don't have to be broken and overwhelmed to be poor in spirit. Amen. You could be a normal, healthy individual and still be poor in spirit. Amen. You don't have to be this, this person who's been overwhelmed by sin, overwhelmed by disease, or overwhelmed by life's experiences. You know, you can just be a regular person and still be poor in spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and the other thing on the other side, too, you can have the most amazing talent and ability in this world and still be poor in spirit. You're not required to be a person who has nothing to add to the world, amen, in order to be poor in spirit. Uh, And so uh, let's read here in uh, verse 1, Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed or avoided evil. So uh, I'm I'm glad that 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 this happened to Job who he was, because Job was a good fellow. Right. He was not a terrible person. He was not, you know, somebody who's taken advantage of people. He wasn't somebody who was prideful. Uh, he was a pretty good fellow. Right. He was perfect and upright. He was good, upright uh, and one that that feared God and eschewed evil. Right. He avoided evil. He was not an evil person. He wasn't trying to get away with things. Uh, overall, he was a pretty good fellow. Amen. And that should set the tone for uh, the, the problem we're going to find out with Job's life. His problem was he wasn't poor in spirit. Uh, and so uh, it says in verse two, and there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Uh, and so was Job wealthy? Well, sure he was wealthy. He was very wealthy. In fact, he was the greatest man of all the East, right? Uh, and so God must, have de- must therefore have despised him because of his wealth, right? No, uh, it doesn't say that God despised him of his wealth. Uh, and so, in fact, we'll find later on that Job uh, became prosperous. Amen. Uh, so was his problem that he had uh, finances? No, because he was still. Uh, what did he say about him at the very first verse? He was perfect and upright. Amen. He had a, he had a good attitude. Uh, and so uh, it says in verse 4, and his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for the three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting was gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. 
For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So verse 5 is the whole issue with Job, right? The people talking about the Job's issue was, you know, Satan did this thing, Satan did that. No, the, the issue with Job is verse 5. Because Job thought in his, because he was a good man, uh, he, he was upright, he didn't do evil. He's going to make sure that his kids are okay. He's going to offer sacrifices for them. He's out of his own strength and ability. He's going to go and make sure that his kids are okay. He never confronted his kids. Hey, you're in sin. He never said stop doing that. He never rebuked them. Uh, he didn't make sure that they took care of their own sins. He was going to use his own ability and try to use his own uh, relationship with the Lord to uh, help out this guy over here. Uh, and that's really the issue was he thought that in, his, in, in and of himself, he was able to take care of his kids out of his own strength uh, by doing these things, right? By doing sacrifices for his kids uh, and not trying to find out from God what he should be doing. And so this is the issue with Job. Verse five is really Job's issue uh, in, in his life with the Lord. Now, the problem with verse five is it doesn't seem like there's all that much wrong with it, right? But he's offering sins because he said uh, at the end of it, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned. What do you mean it may be? You know they're in sin. Then do something about it, right? That's the thing is, well, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on people. I just, you know, I want to just, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, the love of God has the ability to see people for exactly who they are and without condemning them. Amen. Uh, And so Job, instead of doing what was right as a father, you know, he was going to try to use his position with the Lord to kind of get the Lord to overlook everything. Uh, And uh, and so the problem, instead of dealing with things, he was trying to use his own strength and ability and the fact that he was a very wealthy man, very rich man, to try to persuade the Lord to overlook all of his problems with his kid's life. Uh, and so instead of being desperate for the Lord, Lord, I need you to intervene. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your talents and abilities in my life to overcome the situation to help my kids. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm pretty good fellow, Lord, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to overlook their sins uh, because of my position with you. Now, again, He's a good fella, right? He wasn't super religious. He wasn't legalistic. Uh, he was a good fella. But he didn't know how desperately he needed the Lord. Uh, he thought he could handle it in his own strength. Uh, and and uh, the problem was, uh, as great as he was, as wealthy as he was, as being the greatest of all the men in the East, is what it says of him, it wasn't enough. Uh, but he thought it was. How many times have we thought that, that my talent, ability, my prayer, if I can just pray enough, uh, I'll get the job done. I, I can do this. Uh, and that's what Job is doing, right? Now, he, wasn't, he was offering sacrifices. He had a relationship with the Lord. He was trying, still trying to do things with the Lord. But it was still out of his own strength and ability. It was out of his position that his relationship with the Lord was going to get the job done and that, that he could do it. I can take care of this, Lord. Uh, he said, he, and, I, and, and, the, and what does it say at the end of verse five? Thus did Job continually. So his life was all about trying to get the Lord to move on his behalf out of his own strength and not seeing how desperate he needed the Lord. It was out of his own strength. Uh, and uh, this is the scenario of probably every human being in the earth. doesn't matter what your talent and ability is. doesn't matter what your experience is or what your knowledge is. Uh, you will be tempted to be this, uh, be this person. That out of my own strength, I'm going to do this. Instead of being poor in spirit and saying, Lord, I've got nothing to add to this. 
you tell me what you want me to do. You tell me how I should handle this. Uh, you give me the, the, the wisdom and insight that I need for this situation. Uh, and, and never come to God with, Lord, here's my resume. Here's what I, you know, I've been a, a prayer warrior for, for years and years, Lord. And so, Lord, uh, you need to allow me to have this thing because I've been a prayer warrior or whatever the thing is, whatever the resume is. Uh, Lord, I've served my church all these years, faithful to serve my church. Uh, that's, we can't impress the Lord. Amen. Uh, uh, so many times we try to impress the Lord with our position or, you know, Lord, I'm good. You know, I, I, you know, I fear you, Lord. I, I, I avoid evil. I'm doing good things. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'll tell you this one thing. Uh, years ago, we were, we were at, uh, when I was with my pastor, we were in, in praise and worship practice. And, and sometimes we kind of sit around on the floor and listen to uh, the, the praise and worship leader talk about things. And he was talking about something. And, but the Lord started speaking to me. And he said, he said these words. He said, you know, you don't impress me. Uh, and, you know, I was just minding my own business. That seems like a really unkind thing to say, right? Because, I mean, you know, uh, did somebody steal his Cheerios or something in the morning? I don't know. But, you know, it wasn't like I was doing something to try. I was just minding my own business to listen to him. And the Lord said, you know, you don't impress me. Uh, and, and so I had to, you know, later on, I had to go, Lord, you know, what do you mean by that? Why would you say that? You know, what, 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 uh, um, uh, what prompted you to say that? And so he started showing me that in my life, that I was always trying to earn his favor by doing good things, by trying to help people. You know, so, so if you looked at my life, it wasn't like I was trying to uh, do bad things. I wasn't trying to, you know, get away with things. I was trying to, to live a life as a Christian. But in my heart, I, also, I was also thinking, if I do this thing, the Lord will be impressed. And I, I'll get in good with him. I'll earn his favor right, by doing these good things. And so I would try to, uh, earn the Lord's favor by my good works. Uh, uh, and of course, none of you all ever done anything like that, right? All you all perfect people and perfectly spiritual and aware of everything, right? Uh, and, but the Lord said, you know, you don't impress me. Uh, and and um, you, at that moment, it was news, new information to me because I thought that the Lord was really impressed with my whole life. You know, wow, I thought he just looked at me and go, wow, I, I'm so impressed. You know, that's, uh, I didn't really think that, but, but sometimes we kind of live that way, right? Well, Lord, you must be impressed with me. Look, I go to church all the time. I'm doing all these things. You know, I give and, uh, you know, I help people. And Lord, you know, I must be a pretty good fellow. I, I must be uh, one that is perfect and upright. I must be one that fears God and eschews evil. So who do we sound just like? We sound just like Job, right? And Lord, I'm going to convince you to, to overlook my children's sin uh, because uh, uh, I'm Job. And I'm going to do it all the time until, until you're convinced to, to help my children. Instead of being poor in spirit, and Lord, I need you. I need you to intervene. I need you to help me. I need you to give me wisdom. So we're not being poor in spirit. Uh, now, again, uh, the, someone who's not poor in spirit, you can look just like Job. How many people you think were impressed with Job? I mean, if he's the greatest man in the East, I want to be just like Job. He's the last person in the world you want to be like is Job, right? At the, it's ver chapter 1 Job. You know, we want to be like chapter 42 Job, but we're not in chapter 42 yet. We've got a long way to go to get to chapter 42. Fortunately, Job, it's like one chapter one, two and three and then a bunch of bunch of, you know, nonsense. And then you get down to chapter 38 and then, then we're OK. Right. But so so Job's issue was was Job because he was such a good man. Right. He was a good man. And, and we don't want to take anything from Job, but he was not poor in spirit. He thought in his own talent, his own ability, his own strength, he could fix this situation. Uh, uh, and so 
then we know the then we know the situation, right? Satan came to him. We're not, we're not going to go through all that. Uh, Satan came to the Lord, said, "Hey, you know, um, look at Job. Of course, he's got it good because you got your hand on him." Uh, and of course, um, uh, let's just look at. Uh, we're not going to look at all of the things here. Um, in verse twelve, uh, well, let, let's. Uh, uh, we'll read a couple of these things here. In verse uh, 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Uh, so Job was pretty top of the hill right there, right? Top of the hill. None like him in the earth. So he wasn't just the greatest man in the east. He was the greatest man in the earth at this point in time. A perfect man and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Uh, uh, and then, of course, Satan says, uh, answered the Lord, hath, doth Job fear God for, for naught or for nothing? Uh, hast, thou, hast not thou made a hedge about him? Well, why did the Lord make a hedge around Job? Because Job was a good man. All right? And so the Lord protected Job because he was a good man. But see, uh, Job, thus did Job continually, back, back to verse 5, you know, sometimes you keep on doing things and, and you wake up one day and you're outside the will of God, don't even know it. And that's what Job had done is, you know, he started off maybe with good intentions, but instead of finding what the Lord wanted to do uh, and being desperate for the Lord, he was going to use his own ability and, and strength to convince the Lord to do these things. And he got outside the will of God. And so uh, he said, in verse 10, this is Satan speaking. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Uh, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, and only upon himself uh, put not forth thine hand. So did the Lord said, Behold, I put, I put all that he has in your power? The Lord never said, I did this. The Lord is just telling him what is. Right? The Lord is just telling him what is the situation with Job. He said, all that he has is in thy power. He never said that I'm doing this. He said uh, that this is the case right now because, you know, the devil doesn't have any wisdom. The devil doesn't have any uh, supernatural ability to see things in the future like the Lord does. Uh, and so eventually Satan would have figured it out, you know, because Satan would have somehow snuck up on Job and realized, wow, there's not a hedge right there at this moment, moment in time. So all the Lord is telling Satan here is here's the situation with Job. Job has gotten out of the will of God uh, and everything that he has is in your power. So he wasn't telling, telling the devil anything the devil wouldn't figure out eventually. He was just letting him know early on. So, you know, it, I believe it would have happened just as exactly like this, except uh, it might have taken the devil a little longer because he's not really bright. So the, the, the Lord didn't put the, the Lord put the things of Job into the hands of Satan. No, he said, behold, they are. He said, I didn't do it. Behold, they are. And who, who did it? It was Job's lack of being poor in spirit, right? Job got out of the will of God. And of course, we go on and the same things happen. You know, uh, basically, Job loses, loses everything. And then uh, what, did, uh, what did Job say in verse 21 of chapter, chapter 1? He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, did Job say that? Job totally said that. Is it true? Totally not true. Because who took it away? Satan took it away, right? So did Job know that? No. But see, how many times have you heard this? Oh, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Well, that's, that's a correct statement that the Bible doesn't say that, but Job said that, and Job was 100% wrong. Uh, and so, uh, so Job said those things. Uh, and then, uh, of course, it continues on in chapter 2 uh, that uh, uh, it, we, we get down to verse 6, and it says, um, The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he, talking about Job, is in thine hand, but save his life. So that, that's when the sickness came. But again, did he say, Behold, I put him in your hand? No, he didn't put him in his hand. He just said, hey, uh, at this point, uh, what did Job say? He said one of the dumbest things in all the Bible in verse 21, right? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. So what, what can the Lord do with that? Nothing. Because uh, did the Lord take it? No, the Lord didn't take it away. And so uh, he blessed the Lord. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. But, you know, we can bless the Lord in our ignorance and say, say dumb things, right? Uh, and so... Uh, now, now, uh, Job's understanding was the Lord was doing all these things to him. Uh, was he correct in that in that assessment? He was not correct in that assessment. He was 100 percent wrong in that assessment because we said, it says right there that Satan went forth in verse seven of chapter two. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So did the Lord do that? No. Who did it? It literally says Satan did that. Right. So so. I don't know why in the world people think, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Because Job said that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Well, that's an incorrect statement. The Lord never took anything away. The Lord did give it to him because it says he blessed everything that he set his hand to. So the Lord blessed him, but the Lord didn't take it away. And so, but what did Job do? Did he go to the Lord? No, he just assumed, well, I guess. You win some, you lose some, right? I mean, you know, it's here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, say la vie. Uh, did Job ever approach the Lord? No, he never did ask the Lord about it, right? Uh, he, now, he would go to the Lord in, in, in sacrifices, trying to get his kids to, to be safe. Of course, all the kids died in that, again, because they were all got out of the will of God. Satan went in and destroyed their lives. Uh, and uh, Satan went down in chapter 2 and started putting sickness and disease on, uh, on Job. Uh, and verse six was the last time the Lord speaks until chapter 38. Uh, and then uh, then we get down to chapter three. And then uh, Job gives us really um, the whole issue with Job uh, in verse 25. Uh, he said, for the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Uh, and so uh, what is Job saying here? Job is saying that that the issue was that he's been in fear all of this long. Um, and so uh, even with his kids, he was in fear. He was in fear that the kids were going to uh, go too much outside the will of God. Uh, he was in fear that he was going to lose all of his stuff because he didn't want to be poor. He was in fear uh, that he would be sick. He said, that which I feared the most has come upon me. What, what came upon him? Total calamity, right? He lost everything except for his wife. Right. Who never did anything to help him. Right. And she said, well, you know, just curse God and die. Well, thanks, woman. I appreciate that. I mean, he lose her, you know, because Satan's like, well, she's on my side, you know, so, you know, I can't I can't get rid of her, you know. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes, well, you know, you think, well, Lord, I, that's so good that you spared spared my wife. And Lord's like, I didn't spare her. Satan spared her because she, she's on his team. Right. Uh, and so. Uh, but anyway, that's a whole whole nother discussion right there. Right. So Job said that which I feared the most has come upon me. So was Job a good man? He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He did good things. But was he a faith man? He was not a faith man. He was fully a, full of fear, right? Uh, and he was not poor in spirit. 
He thought he could do all this on his own. He thought because of his position, his experience, his knowledge, he could do all this on his own. Uh, and, uh, and so then you start chapter 4, and in chapter 4, for the next 34 chapters or so, is just a bunch of uh, stuff with these friends. You know, you got uh, his three friends, they come to him, and they, they all question, you know, Job, it's all your fault, you know, and Job's like, oh, poor pitiful me, and uh, Job laments his situation, and I'm just reading these headings here. Uh, they got other speeches there, um, uh, and um, uh, God seems indifferent, and blah, 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 and uh, they keep uh, responding. You know, one person says something, and, uh, and uh, Job responds, and then, you know, of course, you get the youngest one. Uh, he, he thinks he knows everything, and um, uh, God is disciplining you. Uh, that's what the, the last friend says to Job. Uh, and um, is that true, that God is disciplining Job? No, who's, who's doing this work against Job? The devil's doing this work against Job, right? So who brought it upon themselves? Job did, right? Uh, he, he feared uh, that which he feared the most had come upon him. Amen. Was he a good fellow? He was a good fellow, right? He was an example of being a good fellow, in fact, right? He was the greatest man in, on all the East, not just in wealth, but, but being in his relationship with the Lord too, right? Uh, and yet he was still in fear. And he thought that uh, he could use his own strength and ability to convince the Lord to take care of everything without actually uh, uh, asking the Lord. And so finally, after all of these chapters, we get to chapter 38. Uh, and so... Uh, in chapter 38, the Lord finally speaks to Job. Uh, and uh, it's really good, you know, if you read it in the context of, of these things, it's really uh, a good, um, uh, a, a good uh, ex- explanation of, of all the situation with Job here. So I'm going to start in verse 1. We're not going to read it all because um, we could read literally all of uh, 38, 39, 40, and 41 and 42. Uh, but then we'll just be here all day reading uh, verses here. Uh, but let's start here. So up to chapter 38, once this started, Job never asked the Lord anything. Never came to Job and never came to the Lord. Said, hey, Lord, what's going on? Never prayed. You know, he said, why is this doing it to me? You know, now, now he never said the Lord was wrong in what he's doing. He thought the Lord was doing it. So he never he never judged the Lord as being wrong because he talks about that earlier early on, how the Job didn't judge, judge the Lord foolishly. So he never said, well, Lord, you're wrong in doing this to me. But Job was wrong thinking the Lord had done it to him. Uh, and so, but he never went to the Lord, which I thought was odd, right? Uh, he, he just had his three terrible friends here that, that said, it's all your fault, Job. And Job's like, what did I do? What did I do? And of course, he did do some things wrong, but they didn't know. They, they thought he had some secret sin that, you know, he was really, you know, sleeping around or that he was, you know, uh, stealing from the poor, you know, whatever it was. He was prideful. Uh, his real issue was his fear, right? That was his root, the root cause of all of Job's issue was his fear and, and lack of trust in the Lord. Uh, and so, so uh, finally, the Lord speaks. Nobody asked the Lord anything. And, and I guess maybe the Lord's just like, okay, they're, they're never going to get it. So I'm going to have to intervene here, right? We're going to have to have an intervention here with Job. Uh, and it says, so it says in verse 1 of Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? I love that. You know, all these guys, words without knowledge. You know, they've been going blah, 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 words without knowledge. And the Lord said, I feel so sorry for you, Job. Let me pet on you a little bit. Uh, You know, it's going to be okay. Is that what the Lord said to him in verse 3? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. I love that. Gird up thy loins like a man, right? 
Uh, and, uh, you know, you ever, have you anybody ever heard that phrase, toxic masculinity? You ever heard that phrase? It's one of these phrases in, in, it's in culture right now because the culture hates masculinity, right? They hate, hate men being men and women being, women being women. Now it's like, well, men can be women, women can be men, you know. Uh, and now they're, now they're pushing this into children, right? I mean, the, the, the amount of devilish stuff going on, it's insanity, right? Uh, you know, the, this whole, I don't know if you've been seeing this stuff with, the, with that new law they passed in, Florida that said, you know, if they're in kindergarten, you can't you can't tell them to be transgender in kindergarten, right? You can't tell them to be a homosexual in kindergarten uh, because that's stupid, right? You don't tell them how to make babies in kindergarten either, right? Uh, that you wait till they're adult, uh, not adults, but older anyway, right? And so all these people are mad because we can't we can't groom our our kindergarten children to be full of the devil, uh, and and even some some lady from Disney said, well, I've got a transgender child and two gay children. Uh, you know, that, that lady will have to stand before the Lord Jesus someday. The insanity of saying that my child is transgender uh, when, they're, when they're just, you know, in a kindergarten is, abs- uh, it's just so devilish, so perverted, right? So the per- level of perversion in the world today is just, it's beyond imagination, right? It's just so much perversion going on. And part of it is they're trying to uh, tell men, quit being like men, quit acting like a man. You know, we say man up, you know, that, that's toxic. There's nothing wrong with being a man. You should be the manliest man there is. Right. Uh, and, and it's perfectly fine for women to be women. Amen. Well, you know, we don't want, you know, we don't want toxic feminism any more than we want toxic masculinity. Right. Uh, be a man. Gird up now thy loins like a man. He didn't say you know, like a man, or if you're not feeling like a man, like a woman, you know, you know, it's, it's however, however you feel like you need to express yourself today, right? Uh, uh, however you identify yourself, right? Well, identify as a, as a woman. Well, you know, go get a bigger mirror because it would really help you a lot, right? Uh, no, gird up now thy loins like a man. And I, I just love that phrase right there. Uh, I will demand of thee and thou and answer thou me. And so now chapters 38, 39, 40, the Lord is really what he's trying to do is to get Job to understand his need to be poor in spirit. He's trying to get Job to to understand that Job in Job's mind, he thought he could handle it. He thought he could take care of it, his own strength, his own ability, his relationship with the Lord. Uh, And so what the Lord is trying to do is, is saying, you need to see me for who I am. And if you can see me for really who I am, you'll understand how poor in spirit you really are. And that's the whole point of the Lord speaking to Job now is he starts asking Job questions. And so the first one is, he said, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. That's the very first question he asked Job. Where were you when I created the earth? You know, see, Job's like, man, I can handle it. I'm somebody important. I'm strong. I'm, uh, I've got all this money and this experience, all these cattle and sheep and everything. I, I must be somebody really important. Well, listen, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I, when I, when I uh, laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if you have understanding. Well, I, I'm pretty smart. Okay, we'll explain that. I mean, you go ask the smartest person in the universe right now, today, any human being, tell me how, how gravity works. Tell me how light really works. I mean, we see, but how, how do I know that it's a thing? I mean, how, how does that actually work? And we, we understand some basics of it, but we don't understand how... I can look at that thing and, it, and understand that it's a thing, right? I don't understand how, how I'm on this earth. You know, right now, 
uh, you're, we're sitting in these chairs, but you know, we're spinning around the earth at 1,000 miles an hour. Right now, you're moving at 1,000 miles an hour on the earth. The earth itself is moving at about 66,000 miles an hour. How, how does that work? How is the earth able to ha hang on to you instead of throwing you off the earth, right? I mean, you're traveling 1,000 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. Yeah. And so that's what the Lord's doing. He's asking Job, where were you? Yeah. He said in verse 5, who, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or hath stretched the line thereof, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who hath made the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the seed with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of its womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, the thick darkness as a swallowing band for it and break, break up for it, uh, my decreed place and set bars and doors. And he said, hitherto shall thou come, but no further. And here shall, thou, shall thy proud waves be stayed. Uh, Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know its place? So he's asking Job all of these questions, right? And I would encourage you, read all of these questions because they're great questions, right? Uh, he said, knowest, knowest thou it because thou wast then born or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, uh, which I reserved against the time of trouble? Uh, and so he, he, he goes, canst thou send lightnings? Uh, that they may go and, and say unto thee, here we go. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding in, into thine heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles in heaven? When the dust groweth into hardness and the clods cleave fast together. Uh, will thou hunt the prey for the lions? Or fill the appetite of the young lions? So can you take care of the animals? Can you understand how the earth works? Can you understand how lightning works? Uh, he, chapter 39, he says, uh, knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock spring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? Canst thou, know, uh, canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? And so again, he, he's, he's asking all these questions, right? Uh, uh, to, uh, to Job. Uh, can thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? Uh, uh, continuing in verse 39, or chapter 39 there. Uh, Does the, the hawk... Fly by thy wisdom uh, and stretch her wings toward the south. So he's asking a, a Job, how do birds fly? You know, it took us till, till the uh, 20th century to figure these things out, right? Uh, and so we figured out some of these things. Uh, and so now we might go, oh, I know all these things. We'll just go see if you can answer all these questions, right? Go and answer all these questions the Lord has given to him, right? Uh, and so uh, he gets down to chapter 40 uh, and says, uh, moreover, the Lord answered Job. So the Lord's been talking this whole time, right? Job hasn't even taken a breath. Um, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that con contended with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. So, you know, the, the Lord was kind of, or Job was kind of trying to instruct the Lord, contending with the Lord. Because he never did ask the Lord what's going on. So, so he was saying these things that God is doing. And well, that's contention. The Lord's not doing these things. The Lord wasn't doing these things. Uh, let him answer. And so now, we, uh, so Job is now starting to get the hint, right? Again, you should read all chapter 38 and 39. In verse uh, 3 of chapter 40, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Uh, and, and so uh, it says in verse 6, uh, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up now thy loins like a man. 
There it is again, toxic masculinity, right? Uh, and uh, what, what's the Lord wants to act like? He wants to act, men act like men and women act like women. Anything wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that at all. You should never feel ashamed because you're a man, never feel ashamed because you're a woman. Perfectly fine. And it's perfectly fine to dress and talk and act like a man and dress and talk and act like a woman. Uh, the world is trying to say there is no gender. Why? Because they hate God. That's why. Uh, the Lord created man and woman separate uh, with their own special talents and abilities, own special features that make them unique in the world and the universe. Uh, and so gird up now thy loins like a man. I will demand of thee and de declare thou uh, unto me. Hast thou an arm like God or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellence and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy, uh, the rage of thy wrath. And behold, everyone that is proud. Uh, and, and so he goes on down, um, down to verse 14. And after all of these things, he said, if you, Job, if you can do all these things, uh, he gets down to verse 14. He said, then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. So he's telling Job, look, if you can do all this stuff, he said, then, I'll, then you can save yourself. Well, what's the, what the point of him saying that? Job can't answer. He had no idea how any of these work, how birds fly, how goats have babies, how the earth is held together. Job doesn't know anything. Uh, and so the Lord's saying, look, if you, if you can do all these things, then, yeah, you can save yourself. But clearly, you don't know anything. And, and so quit acting like you do all this on your own. Quit acting like you save, uh, save yourself here. Uh, but it's also it's a double meaning because in one sense, he's also telling Job, you know, you can save yourself if you recognize where you are as far as being poor in spirit. Uh, and so the Lord's trying to help out Job. Uh, and, and so uh, he, he's, uh, um, well, he goes on to uh, uh, verse 15 through 24. Uh, and, then he, and then he, you know, the Lord, a lot of times the Lord will just keep on, right? He'll just, because he continues on in chapter 41. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook or, or his tongue with a cord? Uh, which I let us down, can us put a hook in his nose? Uh, and so he, uh, he goes on uh, and continues the same type of, of uh, questioning of Job about uh, can you do all these things, right? And, of course, what's the answer? The answer is no. Job can't do any of these things, right? So, Job, so the Lord's really, uh, really from chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, he's really just heaping it on Job. Can you do anything? You act like you're all big and mighty. You know, just tell me how this moon works. Tell me how the, you know, how, how the stars work. Tell me how anything works that you don't know. You know, and again, have we progressed as a, a society? We have. Have we learned some things? We have learned some things. But we don't know most of these things at, at all. We don't know how these things uh, operate. And, you know, you may say, well, we know that one. We know that one. Okay, fine. But do you know all, all of them? When you know all of them, you can be God, right? Uh, and we'll never know all of them. Uh, and so, uh, and people out of pride, well, I'm going to try. Well, spend all your time trying. You'll never get there. Amen. You'll never figure out these things because some of them are unanswerable. Some of them you just don't know. We will know. We won't know uh, until uh, we get to the Lord's uh, presence in heaven. Right. Uh, and so, so all of this was the Lord's trying to get Job to understand how really poor in spirit he was, how really he had nothing to bring to the Lord and should never come with the attitude of, Lord, I, here, here I am. See me, right? Here I am. Listen to me. Uh, and uh, finally, after all these things, 
Uh, it says in chapter 42 and verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from, from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. So he's saying that everything I've said, I don't have any, understand, any, any understanding of anything I said. Uh, it'd be nice if, if uh, a lot of humanity would get to that same conclusion, right? That everything I said, just forget everything I just said, right? So all last 38 chapters, just forget everything I said about all that stuff, right? Uh, and he says um, uh, in, in um, verse 4, he said, Hear, I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of thy the ear but now mine eye see me wherefore i abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes so if job had done nothing wrong why was it necessary for him to repent people say well job did nothing wrong then why did he repent there's no need to repent if you hadn't done anything wrong but what did job do well number one he he uh, was in complete fear of his life and his children's life and the things that he had uh, and the second one that he he failed in was he wasn't poor in spirit. He thought he could do everything on his own, with his own strength and own, own ability. So finally, Job repents. Now, this is chapter 42. He could have repented in chapter 1, right? And verse 5, right? Verse 5 was the issue with Job. Thus did Job continually. He could have repented in verse 6, and we, we, then that would have been the end of the chapter, right? That whole book. Job would have been uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and they'd been done, Right? Uh, but instead, uh, like like a lot of us, it's chapter one to verse five. And then we spend 34 chapters of our life trying to figure out something, never asking the Lord, never trying to go to the Lord and asking him, just assuming, well, Lord, you're doing all these things. My life is so hard. Why me? Why are you doing this to me? I don't know why you're doing this to me. It's so hard. And I was like, well, just ask. And the Lord said, well, gird up yourself like a man. Get up off there, you know. So the Lord did, obviously did not go to therapy school, did he? Right. Well, you know, you got to. You can't just rip the bandaid off. You've got to, you know, sneak up on them and tell them they're wonderful people. And, you know, grow up. That's what the Lord's telling Job. Grow up. Be like a man. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's helpful to hear that, right? Uh, and, you know, I've offended a lot of people sometimes, you know, uh, just saying, well, grow up. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to offend people, but just, you know, just like, oh, it's so, so hard. Life is so hard. Grow up. Be like a man, right? Yeah. The, uh, find out from the Lord what the deal is and, and then move on. Yeah. And it may be that you need to do some repenting. And the thing is, uh, when he repented, uh, it says, um, uh, you get down to, then the Lord says, after, after Job repented, now you go make an offering for your, for your stupid friends, right? He didn't call them stupid friends, but that's why he didn't make an uh, offering there. In verse 7, it says, and it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to, to Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for, thou, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. So Job said, I know nothing, you know everything, Lord. That's the first thing, the first honest, true thing, the correct thing that Job said. But before that, so basically the Lord said, everything you guys said, waste of air, right? So how many people have taken doctrine out of what these three friends have said to Job? Oh, yeah, Job, you're in pride, Job. Oh, yeah, you're doing, the Lord's doing this to test you, you know. All those things, what did the Lord say about everything they said? Everything they said uh, was, you haven't spoken of me, the thing that's right. So basically everything that those friends said, waste of air. Right. Uh, and so that'd be tough right there, you know, for all the time recorded in the word of God. You know, oh, yeah, that's all my wasted air right there. He said, now go 
Therefore, take up you now seven bullocks and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For, I, for him I will accept. Now see, the reason why Job was able to do that because Job was still a good fella, right? He was, he was always a good fella. He just wasn't really bright, right? But, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, not a, uh, a fault that uh, is, um, well, it's, it's often part of our own lives, right? Yeah. <laughs> so are we also in the same uh, boat as Job sometimes, right? Good people, just not really bright. Uh, and so he said, Job, I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly in that you have not spoken me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So, so the servant Job, now it's only from really chapter 42 when Job said things that were right, right? Uh, everything else, uh, the Lord said that you don't, you don't know anything. Tell me how this works. You don't know any, all this stuff. So they did that. And, and it says, um, did as the Lord commanded and the Lord also accepted Job. And it says in verse 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So uh, what was the Lord's doing? The Lord originally blessed Job, right? Didn't he bless Job? Says that, you know, he's protected him, put a hedge around him. Uh, then Satan destroyed Job for 38 chapters. And uh, people that know these things say it's about nine months period. And then the Lord came in and, and restored everything that Job had. So the Lord gave it to Job. The devil took it. The Lord restored it. That's the story of Job, right? It's not the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Because uh, then the Lord would have given the Lord would have taken away it and the Lord would have given it back. That's, that's really weird, right? The Lord would have been uh, unkind to do that. Uh, but what was the turning point? Uh, chapter 42, verse 6 is when everything turned for Job. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, and finally, Job had arrived at being poor in spirit. Finally, Job realized, Lord, you know, you've told me all these things about the world. I have no idea how any of this stuff works. Uh, and, and while I was impressed with myself before uh, you spoke all these things, I realized that um, uh, I despise myself. Uh, and, and it's not in a, oh, I'm just no count, no worthy, you know, it just uh, not in a, in a false humility. But he really got to a point where he realized, you know, Lord, I've got nothing to add to you. Uh, and that is being poor. I need you, Lord. I have to have you in my life. Uh, and that's that's the turning point of Job when he finally got to be poor in spirit. It was the turning point of his life. And the Lord was able to go in and just erase everything that Satan had done. Amen. Now, he couldn't, couldn't get his kids back, but he got other kids. He got more kids back. Um, uh, in fact, uh, it says in verse 11, And there came, un, there, there came there unto him all his brethren and his sisters and all that they had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house. Uh, and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil the Lord had brought upon him, well, the Lord didn't bring that evil upon him, right? We saw Satan had done that. And every man also gave him a piece of money and, and everyone an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, that's twice as many, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So that's the same number he had before uh, uh, everything happened. Uh, but the point is the Lord restored all of that his children, right? Same wife, I guess, same, you know, did she have 20 kids? That's a lot of kids, right? Uh, and so, uh, but um, uh, maybe she got the, maybe she got, uh, uh, got some help along the way too, I don't know. Uh, and he called their names and it says in verse 15, and in all the land uh, were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren. 
And this, after this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. So, uh, you know, in studying on what it means to be poor in spirit, uh, you know, the whole time that the Lord spent talking to Job about compare yourself to me. That's the, that's the comparison. If you'll do that, uh, then you'll come to the same conclusion that Job did was, Lord, I've got nothing to add to you. I, I, I'm nobody. You know, uh, in a sense, I despise myself, but he despised himself because he realized how small he was compared to how big the Lord was and how much he need, needed the Lord. And, you know, all that sounds fine, but, you know, in our day-to-day lives, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that I've got nothing to add to the Lord? Do we really believe that, Lord, that you're great and mighty and I'm, uh, I'm effectively nobody? Now, in you, we know we're seated in the heavenly places, right? We know that he's blessed. But all of his things were given to us, right? Our, our position with the Lord has been given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't obtain it. We didn't create it. It was given to us. Everything we have has been given to us. Amen. Uh, and if we can get to that point, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the very first thing that you get as being truly poor in spirit is you get your born again experience. But then you also get all the inheritance of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And it comes along with everything, right? It comes with salvation and protection and blessings. The Lord uh, blessed Job and his finances, blessed Job and his family, blessed Job as being a a leader in in his community. Uh, In fact, the greatest man of the East. Amen. Uh, and, And that's and if there's nothing else, you know, that's the attitude that I want you to get to of reminding yourself how big God is in this earth, how big God is in the universe, and how capable he is in your life. Uh, and, and not Job spent so much time mo- moaning and complaining and griping about how hard his life was. And the Lord just, the Lord never said nothing to him. He let him complain for months after month after month. And finally, without the Lord, without Job asking, the Lord chose to intervene. And now we appreciate the mercy of, of the Lord to do that. But he could have let Job go on for years. Sometimes, does it seem like the Lord letting you go on for years and you're living in calamity and destruction? And and, well, why is that? Well, that's not the Lord's doing, you know, but sometimes people think, well, the Lord's put the Lord's testing me. The Lord's not testing you. The Lord needs you to to advance his kingdom. That's what the Lord needs. He's not trying to test you. That's a waste of his time. Right. He needs you to to gird up yourself like a man and do his work on the earth. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with that. Is that okay? I mean, that's what the Lord told Job, right? Gird yourself up like a man. Uh, and that works for women too, right? Uh, in other words, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And if he'd just gone to the Lord early on, chapter 2, Lord, why is this going on? The Lord said, well, because you're in fear, because you're, you're not poor in spirit, because you think you can handle it all in your own strength. Uh, instead of coming to me, uh, Job could have been really short, right? Uh, in fact, it really is short. All the good stuff, chapters 1 and 2 and a little bit of 3, and then from 38 to 42, right? So it's really about seven good chapters, right? The rest of it, just all of his three friends uh, making a fool of themselves, amen? And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Father, uh, we thank you for the example that you left us with Job, that Job's issue was he didn't see you as being uh, the only source of any value in the universe. Father, he thought that his own strength and his own ability and his finances and his position and his, intel- his intelligence, Father, that, that, that those were sufficient to get the job done. That uh, using his own strength and his own right hand, Father, that he could, get, he could get the job done. And you showed him, Father, that how big you were. And Father, we thank you for the mercy of that, that you were kind enough to show Job just how big you were. 
And he said, I heard about you, but now I've seen you. Uh, and having seen you, I, I realize how small I am. And Job, for the first time in his life, really became poor in spirit. And so, Father, help us in our own lives to help us to see anywhere that we're not poor, that we are not poor in spirit. And let us see, Father, uh, us truly for how we are so that we have the opportunity to be like Job and to repent. Job repented, uh, Father, at the end of this entire story. He finally changed and said, you're right, Lord, I, I really can bring nothing to you. Uh, and Father, we need to have that same attitude in our hearts. That's the very first beatitude as you gave to us. Uh, blessed to be the poor in spirit. And Father, if we'll do that, there's such a, such a value in our lives that the blessings to come, Father, and also the entire uh, advantage of the kingdom of heaven comes into our lives. All that we have, Father, all the inheritance that belongs to us is available to us if we'll stay poor in spirit. And so, Father, we choose to commit ourselves to do that. We commit ourselves this very day, Father, to be poor in spirit, to no longer think that we can do it in our own strength and our own ability. And uh, Lord, look at my success. Look how wonderful I am. Look how, uh, uh, how prosperous I am. Uh, Father, we will, we'll, we will remain poor in spirit. You are rich and we are poor, Father. We desperately need you in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Uh, Do you like your, our dissertation on Job today? I don't think I've spent that much time in Job uh, ever, right? But, um, um, but hopefully that'll help us. Amen. Uh, I think it's a great story. I think, you know, the, the, the story of Job is really a great story, a helpful story. But you have to read it according to what it says, right? And not according to what people think it says. Amen. Uh, and so let's get ready to receive this, uh, this afternoon's tithes and offerings. And we appreciate y'all's faithful giving. Amen. I was going to let you know the, the budget uh, for the, uh, the renovation is going to be about $45,000. My guess it'll end up being uh, closer to fifty dollars by the time we add some new uh, features because we've got to buy some TVs and things over there. So, um, and that's about what I thought it'd be for that renovation. So that's a, a pretty good uh, a budget for that renovation. And uh, we've got the money to cover that in our account. So all is well because of our, our giving. Amen. The Lord's blessed us as a church to be able to do that. And uh, we thank him for that. Amen. We'll come ahead, Mr. Jared, uh, and um, uh, we appreciate the Lord's uh, kindness in giving us uh, finances to be able to give into his kingdom. Amen. Uh, and so, um, in fact, I don't, I'll, I'll look it up another time there. But there was a particular verse that I'd seen this morning I, I wanted to uh, read, but um, Jared's going to get done before I get to find it, right? So. Uh, that's all right. We'll blame this on Jared, right? Um, it was about uh, prosperity there, but we'll find it out and I'll, I'll read it uh, another time there. So, uh, but the, the word of God has got a lot of things to say about prosperity. Amen. Uh, and so don't forget, uh, we'll, uh, it looks like uh, we'll probably have all of our services here just because we can get everything set up here and, and stay here. Uh, and so we'll have healing school this afternoon and then uh, Wednesday we'll be here for church as well. Uh, and so uh, if you come to healing school, we may let you help us carry the chairs, put them back up in the building up there because we uh, they have this business Monday through Saturday. So we want to make sure that we don't interfere with their business at all. Amen. Uh, anything else we need to mention before we go? All right. Appreciate you all coming out. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week, Lord, and you're dismissed.